<laughs> I am not ready. Hi. I mean, are we ever really that ready? Okay. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome. Hi. My voice just cracks. <laughs> <laughs> We're here. It's Megan Murphy and... And Laura McNelly. How are you? It's, it's so hot in Vancouver right now. It's 25 it's- today. Yeah, but I guess, it, so it's winter for you over there. How are things over there? Tell us what you're doing, Laura. Where are you? What's going on? How's COVID? Uh, I haven't actually been tuned into the news this week because it's just like there's too many people yelling. It's been a very intense week for the internet, right? And like I work on the internet and on social media and um, it's just too much. There's too much. I can't even look. So I don't know what's going on. I've been offline most of the time. I know. I mean, it's, it's impossible to keep up. Um, I how have I been? I mean, okay, so I went to the bar on Friday. Oh, cool. Uh, was it and cool or was it weird? It was fine. It was a little bit weird. I was I was like kind of into the like hyper sanitization of everything. <laughs> like they're constantly yeah. wiping everything yeah. down. It's a pretty dirty bar. Like the bathroom was so clean, and I was like this is kind of nice. Like, this is one nice aspect is that everything is so clean and not, like, disgusting. Um, And, I mean, it was, like, there was sort of, like, all the old regular people there, so that was fine. I mean, you're so spaced out, so it's not really, like, normal because there's not people kind of standing around and mingling. Like, you're not... I mean, one of the most fun things about the bar is, like, meeting other people and talking to other people... And you can't do that because you have to be at your own table. You can't go sit at the bar on a bar stool next to somebody. You can't be like waiting in line. You're not, yeah, you're not waiting in line in the bathroom, like chatting to somebody and making jokes yeah, or yeah, like, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, all of those things that you enjoyed the most, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like, yeah, I like to go out and I like to have drinks and I like to hang out with my friends, but I also. I do really, I like to be social and I like to like meet new people and kind of hang out all night and (laughs) whatever. But I mean, it was, it was nice to be able to like do something. And it seems like things are sort of getting back to normal-ish a bit in Vancouver. And I always need to like explain to everyone because I sort of forget to specify that I'm in BC and that BC didn't you know bc did pretty well in terms of flattening the curve so Mm. we're not a super high risk Mm. spot and we didn't have nearly as many cases and deaths as they did in many places in the states and even as compared to other provinces in canada like ontario and quebec so it is a bit safer for us to be going back to normal and sort of hanging out so Mm. i've been hanging out a bit with friends like i've i hung out with a couple of my good old friends from high school that I've known since I was like 13 years old on Saturday night and we were just like so happy to see each other and be like this is just so nice (laughs) like I just I've been getting kind of depressed about the whole thing to be honest yeah I think last week we were both ready for it to be over like officially over (laughs) um yeah and I mean like um in some ways the gradual um, end of isolation is probably healthier than like, and that's what it's going to be, right? Like a slow ramping down of restrictions, because I think like a sudden change would be like quite overwhelming for people, considering most people are probably 
already kind of at the edge of what they can tolerate mentally. And then to have some kind of massive thing happen um, would probably be quite negative for people. And I think that's part of the reason I'm like, I've got to tune out of the news this week because there's just too many things happening right now. And tensions are already high for people. Like a lot of people are at the edge of their comfort zone being in quarantine. So things have just blown out with so many news, whatever's in the news. Like it's all just kind of blown out. I know. It was just, there's a lot of horrible stuff in the news right now. Um, Mm. And then, yeah, I mean, I think it's just such an odd time because we're sort of, we're allowed to start hanging out and to start doing stuff again, but sort of not really. And we still can't travel anywhere. So yeah, my mom is still stuck in the States and we have no idea when travel restrictions might get loosened up for immediate family. um, If ever. Um, So, I mean, it's always, it's the not knowing part that's hard. And then I mean, I think that we do know that for a while things are not going to be normal. We're still going to have to do social distancing for a while. Um, And at the same time, it's like, what are we waiting for? Like, we're waiting for a vaccine. We're waiting for antibody tests. Like, um, I feel really bad for people working. I mean, I feel bad for lots of people, but I feel really badly for people who are totally dependent on the tourism slash hospitality industry like that would be really stressful to be in those kinds of positions but yeah I don't know I've just been kind of feeling like low about the whole thing like I'm sort of getting back to normal ish but not really and we had our we had that online panel last night which was really great um about for people who didn't see it about um and it's on my youtube channel in case you want to watch with Heather and Linda and we talked about women's sports and women's prisons and women's transition houses and how gender identity ideology and laws were impacting all of that. Um, and it was really great. But then at the same time at the end, like we were just also sad because we were like, it's, you know, it's sad that we're not doing it in person. It's so nice. Like it's always really like galvanizing and inspiring to do these kinds of events, especially in person. And you, you meet people that like maybe you talk to online in real life and you can hang out with them after and you can like, hug people and it's just it's it's a totally different vibe and i mean in in i mean it's just a reminder that you can't just move things online like i think some people think it's like oh well we'll just do school online we'll just do work online we'll just do events online we'll just you know date online and it's just not the same at all and it's like not not even close yeah and i think you need a lot of For a lot of things, like when we come together and like you said, you have the panel conversation, like there is a lot of content and a lot of kind of stuff that can be overwhelming or a lot to deal with. Um, And you need that kind of time afterwards to just like decompress and just kind of mellow back out and like process things with the help of other people and like physical contact helps with that and social contact helps with that and we don't have that we just kind of we're looking at like news or overwhelming information and then you're home alone or you're home with your kids 
or you're home with whoever you've been locked down with. So you've got no, none of that kind of space to like filter things, process things, work through things, and then go back to your home life. Totally. I mean, that's my whole coping mechanism. Like, it's like, you know, things would get really stressful and shitty online or, you know, the the events that we'd be doing or that I'd, you know, my speaking events and things like that would be really, really stressful. There'd always be a lot of like protests and threats and media stuff. And it's, you know, exhausting. And, but, you know, I would be like, okay, turning off the computer, like going out, like going out to the bar, like to like blow off steam and like hang out with my friends and not think about this. And to remind yourself that there's like a whole bigger world out there than just, either what's happening online or these like horrible people who are saying nasty things about you on the internet and threatening to kill you and things like that. And so there's, when there's not that, it's like, uh, okay, there's just this now, you know, there's the escape and you know, there's no traveling, which is also like a good way to get away, even if just to the Island or wherever, but you know, that stuff is sort of, I mean, I'm sure Many people in the comments might accuse me of being privileged now because that's, you know, you can't complain about anything without being privileged, but, you know, like, (laughs) it is really helpful to be able to, like, go out or, like, go away or something like that. So It's funny um, how we've attached this uh, kind of, like, moral, there's some kind of moral status attached to suffering. And so if you're not, you know, living like dirt poor with no social mobility no capacity to you know um kind of get out of shitty situations then you're privileged and you have no right to speak on anything (laughs) like that's ridiculous the whole point of social justice movements is to move people to make people socially mobile so they can get out of being dirt poor, being oppressed, being abused, being victimized. And then when you're not, it's like, ha, you're privileged now. You don't get to talk about anything. Like, do you see how how that doesn't work? Yeah. It's like, no, you're supposed to stay voiceless. Nobody's supposed to listen to you. You're not supposed to have a job. You're supposed to just be broke and suffering and miserable all the time. And if you're not, then fuck you, shut the fuck up. <laughs> you become the enemy. Karen? But it's like, but it's like the... Well, what are we all working for? To, like, lift people up, lift women's voices up? Like, I don't know. I, the tricky thing is I, I understand some of it because, you know, I see people that I know are kind of like upper class people ranting about social justice. And I'm like, you don't have a fucking clue. And I, I don't I don't want them to shut up because I think they shouldn't talk about issues. But it seems they them talking about it seems hypocritical um, because I know that they were born into wealth and that they've never suffered any of this stuff. So they've just like read, you know, they've read Audre Lorde and they're like, oh, I've decided I'm into women's black women's movement. Like, no, you're not. You're you're saying that because it sounds good on your social media. Like, well, yeah, but I mean, and I mean, upper class is different and even middle class is different yeah. because sort of if you were born into privilege and you went straight to university, you never had to work a job and then you launch yourself into all these like social justice causes and start announcing that 
you know, you're oppressed or that you're fighting for the most oppressed and the most marginalized and you really don't understand how class privilege works at all and or you, you know, can't understand how class privilege works or you haven't tried to understand how class privilege works. So you sort of attach yourself to causes that only a middle or upper class person could attach themselves to. So, you know, you you want to justify having a voice because you, as a social justice warrior, have already said that nobody can have a voice if they have privilege. So you have to invent some form of oppression like, you you know, you're, you're non-binary or you're they, them or you're trans or... You, you start talking on. about microaggressions, like microaggressions. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I honestly think, I mean, I, I don't know if this is true because I don't know the research on it, but I do feel like it's one of the reasons trauma is in fashion now and like certain mental health issues are in fashion because it's something that, you know, even if you're very wealthy, born into privileged, had every opportunity handed to you, you can still have a mental illness and you could still have trauma. I mean, who knows? It is entirely possible. But it well, women who are wealthy are abused and raped exactly. and, yeah. you know, so I mean, are actually men who are wealthy. Like there's, I'm sure, plenty of like middle class or upper class men who have trauma and, and women as well. I mean, I the thing for me is that I see people kind of co-opting oppression and trauma so that they have a kind of valid leg to stand on when discussing the issues and it's fake i i would so i would so much more respect if these people who wanted to be on a soapbox about privilege and oppression or whatever actually went out and like lived in some of the places that they're talking about like go and live in a third world country if you genuinely think that everyone is ignorant and everyone should learn more about oppression and whatever else go and live somewhere with people that are actually dealing with that like what stops people who are upper class telling us all we're privileged you should sit down and shut up like why are you just sitting in your mansion yelling at people on the internet or you're in your you know college your liberal arts college classroom like you know, screaming about discrimination and diversity and inclusion and trying to shut other people down. I mean, as we've as we've learned from cancel culture, it just is a cycle that goes around and around and around and around and everybody eventually gets cancelled. So In the comments, someone yeah. wrote, I stopped being depressed when it became trendy. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I feel that because everyone talking about certain mental health problems, it's like I know this is all, this is marketing. This is your, this is you performing an issue to have social status. So I don't want a part of like, I'm, I'm going to resolve my mental health issues so I don't have to be a part of your thing. Like, yeah, I don't want to be. I mean, also because of the silencing thing where nobody's allowed to have an, a, vo- a voice unless they attach themselves to a marginalized identity, I think people actually feel pressured and it's their own fault because they're participating in this in a lot of ways, but they feel pressured to say, I have trauma, or I'm depressed, or I'm, you know, suffering from various forms of discrimination, Um, I have anxiety, or whatever, instead of just being like, you know, like, I'm having a rough time, because that's not serious enough, like, everything needs, it needs to be more hyperbolic than that, it needs to be bigger than that, you need to be able to politicize everything, and to make it about something that's systemic, um, so, 
you know, like, I mean, because you could play that game forever. You could just, you could always say, oh, well, so-and-so has it worse. There's always somebody who has it worse. Of course there is. And by us saying, oh, like, I've suffered or I'm having a hard time or this was traumatic to me or just, you know, I'm struggling with this, you're always going to be able to say, well, at least you're not, like, living in poverty in a third world country like at least you have a job at least you have a home and I think I actually think it's really good to practice gratitude and I do and I am really grateful for all I have but at the same time like I don't think it's healthy to push stuff down like if I'm struggling with stuff or if I feel depressed about something I absolutely am going to talk about it and be open and honest about it because I don't know that's I don't know how else to resolve these kinds of things without processing them but see I think there's a difference between like talking about this is what I'm struggling with right now, you know, even as someone with whatever privileges I have, these are the struggles I'm facing within the, within my current situation is totally different than these are the struggles I'm facing and I'm going to call them oppression and trauma because that's the only way to now validly feel like I fit in, even though they're not, probably oppression or trauma I'm going to call them that because that's just how we market ourselves now like that's the only way to have social status now it's you're not it's not okay to say I'm suffering like as a middle class person I'm suffering everyone's like oh fuck you you're an idiot (laughs) I mean yeah like and what so last week I think it was last week I talked about like my mom had um my mom who's has a residence here and has to work uh, in the States cause she works at a university. So, um, her spouse, my dad is here full time at their residence and she's there and she has to come back and forth to be with her family. Um, and she had gotten the okay to, to come for the, you know, three months for the summer or whatever and gotten her quarantine plan approved and then got all, they let her get all the way to Vancouver and then like, took her passport and wouldn't let her leave the airport till she booked a hotel and a flight back. And it was obviously really a really stressful experience for her. She's fine. Like it's still really stressful. And it made me feel really depressed because I want to see my mother. Like, and I feel bad for my dad cause he's all alone. Like, and so what happened when you told that? So, story? and then so, <laughs> I'm going to read one of the comments. Oh my God, I can't listen to privileged tears about non-essential travel being essential because people want to do what they want to do. You seriously wrote your MP? Like, you make your mom out to be some nomadic laborer working for scraps trying to make her way back to her poor suffering children, but she can afford two homes and regular air travel? There is a quarantine going on. Quarantine equals don't move. Um, If someone has a nice, safe place to stay, then they are supposed to stay there. There were no mixed messages Trudeau told Canadians a month ago to get their asses back or stay the fuck out. A deadline was given. Jeez, my parents have had to live apart for six months per year for 20 years for work. A few months is no big deal, especially when you could be carrying death and suffering back to your family and the community. Essential essential equals need not want. Um, And I was just like, go fuck yourself. Like, I wasn't comparing my mom to some, like, poor laborer. I was just saying I felt sad. And that, you know, it was a really stressful experience for her. So, you know, I think that I'm allowed to talk about difficult situations and understand that lots of people have it harder. And also, you know, what I was saying was that, like, I was really sad. Like, I was just like, fuck. Like, and I had planned to go over there to spend time with them for a month. And, uh, 
you know, she's it's depressing for her to be like all alone over in the states, away from her family. She's almost seventy years old. She wants to spend time with her family. Like, you know, give me a fucking break. Like, what did it? How did it feel to you to be told like, well, you don't get to suffer unless your mom is like a nomadic in poverty, you know, immigrant who is working for scraps? Like, what does that mean? For well, you? It- it's just, I mean, and my mom worked, like, we grew up working class. Like, we were always broke, and my parents worked really hard to be able to have anything, and we still don't have much. You know, they they both went to school. They both went back to school when I was a teenager, so they were in school all the time and working all the time and finished their PhDs, and my mom got a job and had to move. So it's not, like, it's great that she has a good job and she makes an okay income. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad never got a job, you know, like... When you get a PhD, you just start applying in a million places, and it's still really difficult to get yeah. anything beyond, like, temporary positions, which don't pay really well. Um, and you have to move. Like, so they were living apart. Like, she moved to the States, and he's working all over the place and eventually just kind of gave up because he never got a permanent position, and they didn't want to live apart forever, so they moved back. And she just saved up every penny, like, sort of, and was just sad because she was away from my sister and I. You know, like, it's still... No, of course, like, there's a million people who have it worse off than us. But also, like, you know, I don't, your parents are getting old and you want to spend time with them. Like, and it can be sad without being, like, completely entitled. And, yeah, of course, like, I contacted my MP because I want to know what's going on because they won't give us any information. Like, border services wouldn't explain why they wouldn't let her in and why this counted as non-essential travel because other people who are spouses have been let in. And, you know, Trudeau did recently extend the restrictions, like, you know, like a couple days before my mom traveled. Um, And they still, nobody still knows what's going to happen and what's going on. So, Mm. I mean, she's not, and she's not bringing death back. I mean, God, they're going to like, they don't hang out with anybody, first of all, but she has like her own room to go quarantine for 14 days. And they're literally not around anyone where they are. It's just like, stop the hyperbole. And also like, you're so hateful to speak that way about somebody else's family member. Like I wasn't Mm -hmm. talking about some abstract person. I'm talking about my fucking mother who I never see. Like, I think is there's a big, for me, I feel like there's this big kind of gap and there's big kind of black spot for people when we talk critically about capitalism wealth privilege um, and particularly when we criticize people who you know like you live in a big city and you're middle class and we assume that that is their whole story and like a lot of people I know that live in first world cities like in Sydney in particular that that's one of the biggest cities I've lived in um, all of my friends were immigrants they were first generation immigrants they'd come to sydney to study that so they'd come on a student visa and they'd work really 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 hard to get a job so they could stay in the country and they were from all over the world and they for me that was the majority of sydney i know there's a lot of like wealthy people in pockets in sydney that have like had money for generations and they've always lived there but my experience of the kind of capitalist, first world, big city, middle class people is actually people who've worked really fucking hard um, and they've ended up with six-figure salaries by virtue of how hard they've worked, not by virtue of their parents having money. Like a lot of them came from absolutely nothing. 
third world countries, no money, their parents were not educated by the university system, and they'd managed to scrape enough money together through family members and friends to get a student visa to go and study in Australia. And this was their big break. Like, why would we shit on that? <laughs> like, oh, you shouldn't be a capitalist working in a first world country. You're a privilege. So, like, are you serious? They're sending money back. Work in a field. <laughs> a lot of these, <laughs> a lot of these people are sending money back home. Like, a lot of the Filipino economy is made up with money sent from other countries. Like. People are surviving on this labor. It's not just privileged first world economy. Like there's way more to it from my perspective. I mean, there's also, I mean, nobody knows anything about anybody else's life based on what they see on Instagram, Um, which I have a number of people who stalk me on Instagram. I try to remove them because they keep like reporting back to other people who hate me being like, she's just drinking Prosecco in like, hotels all the time and i'm like yeah all the time or it might be that people take photos of themselves when they're at an event traveling with other people and you ordered prosecco at the hotel bar so wait (laughs) you're working if you're not like crying like what i can't have fun like (laughs) like that's what it is you're so you're meant to be crying like scrubbing floors like working on your hands and knees and if you're not doing those things no but instagramming it yeah (laughs) covering dirt rubbing the floor (laughs) digging (laughs) picking berries in a field obviously like you're gonna post a photo when you're in vegas over like when you're like i don't know working at your computer or like oh i'm really stressed out on the internet now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i've no- you know what? I, am. I've I guess some people do that i mean i don't i don't do that right. i don't post like whiny like i'm so sad and stressed out yeah. posts on instagram i find that um more and more people are doing this thing of like posting themselves sad and to me it kind of feels a little bit like they're like weaponizing their sadness and i'm like i i get the desire to be authentic but some of it feels contrived it feels like fake authenticity well how do you pose for a sad photo like do you start crying and then get out your phone like i don't i don't really buy it like yeah. I just like you'd have to pose, so you'd have to kind of take yourself out of the, the sadness or the depression to be able to pose for the photo and then choose the right one out of the thirty that you took and then use your like airbrush app. I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how it works. Um but some I wanted I wanted to just say, speaking of being poor and then working your way into having money, I think one of the really big things about like working your way into having money, because there's some people talking in the comments about, um, you know, like being first generation immigrants or your parents being the immigrants and you're therefore poor. And I feel like one of the things that happens is we adopt a kind of poor mindset, which is that you should never be comfortable Like you should never earn enough to have savings. You should always be giving and not having enough for yourself. And this is very, uh, this is a big part of a lot of cultural norms. Like a lot of collectivist cultures, you must share your wealth with your family and you're not really entitled to have boundaries and look after your own well-being first. 
And it's actually really hard to overcome that. And I think this whole shaming people for, you know, Megan Murphy has a mom that can afford to travel. Like, you realize how much internal work. <laughs> she can buy a plane ticket? <laughs> Fuck her. <laughs> like, okay. And I get that they're acting out. They're probably... Potentially, there are people who are poor and they're acting out their wounding around money. But like for people who've grown up poor, we have to do a lot of overcoming the internal narrative that we're not worth money. Like we're not worth being paid. We're not. Worth oh, dude, I'm still money. getting over it. I'm not even close yeah. to being over it. I mean, it's like it's so my whole career. I've struggled to ask for money and felt guilty asking for more and when I have asked for more I've been you know called like high maintenance and a princess and whatnot and I don't even want to I mean if people had any idea how much uh, you know people like Roxanne Gay and Jessica Valenti and those kinds of people were paid for speaking gigs it's tens of thousands of dollars and what I ask for is like embarrassing to be honest <laughs> and like you know I I just i I want to do what I want to do. You know, I want to write what I want to write and I want to speak about what I want to speak about. And so I do take not very much money for that, but I also have like an okay life. And I really, it's really exciting to have like an okay life and to be able to do stuff that I want to do and yeah. to be able to, and to be able to travel, which I could never do before. And I, I actually relate to that bitterness because I used to really hate rich people because I was, bitter and because I was always like struggling to like find yeah. bus fare and stuff like that yeah. you know and so yeah. now you know I do have some income and you know, you still have this like working class mentality first of all I think I mean I think if you're a writer you have imposter syndrome no matter yeah. what but I think if you grow up working class you never think that you deserve it so you always feel a bit bad about it and then you have to remind yourself how much other people have and it's like oh wait I still don't you know, like, I still don't have a home, like, I don't have retirement, I'm not getting an inheritance, you know, like, what it appears like, and working class people are also notoriously bad with their money, you know, yeah. they'll, because you've never had any, and, and you're so embarrassed about it, so you go out and buy, like, a fancy car, or, like, a really expensive purse, like, those kinds of things, instead of saving money, and, or investing, or whatever, because you're, a, so scared about suddenly not having money again that you're like, ah, quick, do something with this. And you have such a stressful, like, an anxious relationship to money. Like, it doesn't feel relaxed or normal yeah. to have any money at all. So it's almost sort of like, get rid of it, get rid of it. And um, the idea... Do something you, with it while it's here. Yeah, and you've never been... You've never learned how to save because there was never any money to save. So that's just not part of your your habits or your repertoire yeah. or whatever. Um, there's, there's no, there's nothing in your psyche that helps you make sense of money as a form of like comfortability and like saving and like long-term sustainability. Um, I actually feel that way a little bit about like normal life. I want to talk, we should talk about this on the Patreon, but I want to talk about it in terms of, I feel quite uncomfortable with like normal life still if there's no chaos and there's no drama it feels like I'm living in a simulation and I'm like where's the real like where's the real shit because this is fake all this normal stuff is obviously fake like what what's or just boring here? like there's something there's something wrong I need to do something to shake things up <laughs> yeah I 
haven't done that, but I mean, I can see that that's like one part of it is that that kind of, if you're used to anxiety, you're used to the anticipatory angst and there's nothing. You're like, where's the catch? I'm waiting for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Who's about to drop like a bomb on this situation? Because it it must be, it's too stable. Things are too good. This is fake. Surely this is fake. We, or you, you don't trust it to last, or you think something's wrong, or I guess, like, I was thinking, we should talk about this on the Patreon, not here, we're, like, doing, we're doing group therapy stuff on <laughs> this, group we're, we're all screwed up, <laughs> um, but, like, when, if you're in a relationship, and it's sort of just, like, calm, that, this is what I was relating to, to a little bit, and just normal and routine, and you're like, oh, this can't be good. <laughs> yeah, what's gonna happen? Just tell me now. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> this can't be love. I don't feel stressed out at all. <laughs> I okay. Anxious. I don't feel horrible. This must be I'm not fake. scared. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't feel panicky or nauseous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll talk about this on Patreon. So okay, Patreon. so we have to talk yeah, we have to talk about Karen, I have so many new things to say about Karen. Um, But, you know, I mean, specifically Amy Cooper and Christian Cooper. And this was one of the big things that happened on the Internet this week. I sort of assume that most people followed it, but I'm not positive. So, I mean. This woman was strangling her dog? Yes. So... Okay, so so Christian Cooper is somebody who is an avid birder. So he goes to what's called the Ramble in Central Park regularly to go birding. And the Ramble in Central Park is an on-leash area, so dogs can't be off-leash. Um, I assume this is because they scare away the birds. And, I mean, most actually, most areas are on leash. There's very few areas that you can let your dog off leash in Vancouver, anyway, and I assume you know most North American cities. So, birding mean looking at birds in a thing. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what that yeah. means. I, I mean, yeah, I've never been birding before. I like birds. Birds are nice. I'm not. I'm not going to diss the birders, but um, so yeah, they. Somebody in the comments was like, they have the same last name. I know it's weird, right? So, um, so Christian's sister, whose name I think is Melanie, posted a video that I assume he sent her. And the video is, like, pretty deranged, I'll say. Like, I watched it and I was like, this lady is crazy. Like, so she's, you know, he's, he's, he's telling her to put her dog, which is not a vicious dog, just a little cocker spaniel, on a leash, he's like, FYI, this is an on-leash area, like, put your dog on a leash, and she was saying, you know, he needs to get exercise um, while the dog runs are closed, and I'm actually going to read the, the transcript, so she says, the dog runs are closed, he needs his exercise, um, he says... All you have to do is take him to the other side of the drive outside the ramble and you can let him run off leash all you want. And she says, it's too dangerous. And he says, look, if you're going to do what you want, and I think this part actually wasn't on the video. I think this was maybe pre-video. 
look, if you're going to do what you want, I'm going to do what I want, but you're not going to like it. And she says, what's that? And he says to the dog, come here, puppy. And she says, he won't come to you. And he says, we'll see about that. And I was like, ah! (laughs) That's like such a creepy interaction. Like, so we're only shown the video where he's um, saying like, you have to put the dog on the leash. And she's sort of freaking out. And holding her dog by the collar up. So the dog's like kind of hanging by the collar and choking and like, and she's sort of coming, she's coming up to him. So she's seeming like the aggressor on the video. And he's saying like, don't get close to me. And she's like, I'm going to call the cops and I'm going to tell. And he's like, yeah, okay, good. Go ahead. Call the cops. And she's like, I'm going to call the cops and tell them that an African American man is threatening me. Um, which, of course, is, like, the major thing that set off the internet because, like, what a kind of evil thing to say. Like, it's obviously race-baiting. Like, she's using racism against him. She's like, I'm specifically going to tell the cops that it's a black man. And he wasn't he wasn't threatening her. Um, they weren't close. Like, I think, I, I think a lot of things about this whole situation, and, and I was also disturbed about what was happening with her dog, but I think she was genuinely really stressed out and kind of scared. And once I read what happened prior to the video, I was like, I would be totally freaked out if some man said, like, then you're not going to like what I do. Come here, puppy. Like, I would yeah, assume like, he was going to kill my dog. Yeah. Like, and then he, and he has treats with her. And I was like, what kind of, person without a dog i mean i have a dog and i've never carried around treats with me in your life because you can't and you can't give strange dog treats because dogs have lots of allergies and also like i would be worried that people poison pets intentionally people leave out poison for pets on purpose to kill cats and dogs and um you're carrying around treats with you while you're like you're just you sound like kind of a sketch ball also like didn't someone say after the fact that they've encountered the guy that was involved in this altercation and that um, they found him to be quite uh, threatening, like he followed them or something and um, filmed their interaction as well? Yeah, and like she so they ran away or something? Yeah, like there was this comment online, and I mean, it's just from somebody online, so who knows, but I'll read you what it said. Um, and it says. I'm not condoning Amy Cooper's behavior at all. I'm not condoning the way she mistreated her dog. I'm not condoning the way she completely made up an assault and got herself more and more hysterical on the phone. Because, yeah, like, the the, when she called the cops, like, the hysteria was almost fake. Like, she seemed like she was acting more scared than she actually was. Anyway, but I've had my own run-ins with Mr. Cooper and about 12 years ago, when I used to walk my dog in the ramble, um, when I started reading this article, I wondered to myself, oh my God, is this about that guy in the ramble? <laughs> Lo and behold, it is. I was wondering when he would make the papers. There is something very wrong with that man. He's followed me and my dog in the ramble with his cell phone, laughing hysterically, videotaping me while I walked away fast to get away from him. He seemed to get a kick out of harassing dog walkers in the ramble who in their right mind who in their right mind purposely carries dog treats for the express purpose of getting other people's dogs away from them. Again, I'm not condoning any of Amy Cooper's behavior 
and the way she treats her own dog in the video is abysmal. But knowing Mr. Cooper, there was a lot more going on before the clip was shown in the article started. If he treated her the way he used to treat me when I used to run into him, then he was harassing her, not the other way around. Amy Cooper should have done what I used to do, walk away from that man fast. Mm. And I also read a few things that was like, there is this like long-standing rift between um, between the bird watchers and the dog walkers because dogs fuck up bird walking, bird watching. <laughs> so there's like this rift and this like hatred between them already, which I like. I don't get. I don't walk dogs or watch birds, so I don't know. But I can imagine when you live in a place where the same people are frequenting the parks and they get to know each other. And they start like building up this resentment towards each other because, like, you're not following the rules. No, you're not following the rules. Like, I can imagine how that erupts in like moments of just people losing their minds. I know. Well, I think that there is like, I think that there is animosity between birders and the dog people because the dogs scare away the birds. Um, and and I just find in general that people who aren't dog people don't really get dog ownership and then the people who are dog owners and dog lovers think as I do that everyone why would you want to own a cat (laughs) (laughs) it shits in your house it shoots on your stuff it ruins your furniture it hates you in the same way that other people don't get dog ownership so what don't what don't because you don't like love So what is it that the bird watchers don't understand then? Well, they wouldn't understand that, you know, like the dog, the dog people don't see their dogs as threatening. They're like, what? I'm just walking my dog. Like it's outside. I, I'm just walking my dog. My dog needs to walk. And the birders are like, you know, probably pissed that they, that the dogs are, and even if the dogs aren't chasing around birds, maybe the birds don't want to be around because the dogs are there and the birds don't. I'd I don't know. So. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just, I'm kind of guessing. People um, are saying that the dogs eat the birds as well in the comments. Someone said it before as well. Like oh, come on. Cats eat birds. Cats eat birds. I've had three dogs in my life and none of them have ever attacked or eaten a bird. Emma will sort of like playfully chase the crows but not i mean them as a chihuahua but like yeah. you know I, I and i'm saying like i do know that some dogs eat birds like hunting dogs there's specific yeah. breeds of dogs that are in their brain trained to go either kill the bird or go pick up the bird and bring it back mm-hmm. um but yeah cats kill somebody in the comments just says cats kill one million birds to like cats are a real menace to birds honestly like it's a real problem because they're all outside attacking and killing birds and they're really good at it much much better than dogs are because they're quiet they're better predators essentially and they can climb trees and they can jump and uh stalk and dogs do not do those things (laughs) they just like run run like lumber after something (laughs) So, but, what were you saying about dog bird watchers don't understand about dogs no i i just meant that i think that i think that they're just 
the dog walkers and the bird watchers are focused on different things and prioritizing different things and don't relate to the the other ones but so i mean i think as i mean as i was trying to figure out like who is the bigger karen here because everyone on twitter was saying oh this is like peak karen like she's calling the manager i.e she's calling the cops on this guy who's just very politely asking her to put the dog on a leash and and of course she's using the the race thing of course she's using racism against this guy which is really unforgivable um but like then you know if you start to think about it you're like well you know what's a kind of kareny move is to spend your time wandering around the dog park policing dog walkers to make sure they have dogs on the leash and then threatening to maybe poison or steal their dog from them if they don't. <laughs> like, so, like, who's, I mean, who, like, who, who is the bigger Karen here? What's a Karen? I mean, supposedly a Karen is the kind of person who goes around getting in other people's business, kind of policing their shit and calling the manager on them. And going, these are the rules. And if you don't follow the rules, like, I <laughs> I have a real thing with rules because I don't like rules. So I can really appreciate when there's a rule. I'm like, nah, fuck your rule. Like, you tell me, don't walk here. I'm going to specifically walk there now because <laughs> I have a real problem with authority. <laughs> yeah. I But I also understand, like, I also don't like the police And I mean, I'm not in America, so I'm not going to comment on the politics around police in America because that is a whole other thing, which I don't get. But I don't like the police that I've dealt with, like in Australia. I haven't liked them, so I would never call. Actually, I think I have had to call the police on someone once. But it was like someone actually being violent towards me. But I, I, I generally don't like authority figures. I just, I mean, I, I'm not the kind of person, like, I don't, like, trying to think if I've ever, I'm not the kind of person who goes around telling other people the rules, like, excuse me, you're not allowed to do this here, and people have done that to me lots of times, usually rich ladies, so I guess Karens, and I'm like, oh, okay, do you own this fucking sidewalk? Like, oh, is this your store? Like, you know, people have been, like, actually, one, one fucking yuppie one white lady, we're going to do this whole Karen, like, fuck the rich white ladies. I was at, like, this, like, fancy dollar store up the street and that I've been going to for years and years and years. I've lived in this area for 15 years and Vancouver my whole life. Um, and she comes up to me in the store. I'm, like, staring at, like, I don't know, moisturizer or something like that. And she's like, did you just put that in your pocket? And I looked at her and I was like, what? Put what in my pocket? She was like, did you just put something in your pocket? And I was like, no. Like, do I look too poor for you? You move into this area, you buy a townhouse, like, none of us can afford to live in this area anymore because of you, because all of the cheap apartment buildings were torn down, and they built condos and townhouses on top that you, from, I don't know where, the suburbs, Edmonton, somewhere in Ontario, you come here, and then you start policing people in their own neighborhood, because, like, I don't know, like, I don't look like enough of a yuppie to you. This was, like, I don't know. Not that long ago, like four years ago or something like that, three or four years ago. Yeah. 
Um, and there's, you know, there's, there's lots of women like that in this area because it's super gentrified now who are super busy bodies who go around policing what you're doing with your dog, <laughs> like that's whether that's you're that's peeing that's in the alley, like, which also is another thing that happened. Like my friend had to go pee in the alley and this like, like followed us around for like a block and a half. And I was like, do you know how many men pee in your alley all the time? And how many cats pee in your alley? There's no public washrooms. We're socially isolating. We're just at the park. She has to pee. Like, she wasn't doing anything. Like, she wasn't acting like a crazy person. She just kind of was like, I've got to go. I can't wait. And she fucking followed us. These people are a fucking menace. Let me tell you. They are a fucking menace. I So someone's followed me around a shop. Now that you've said that, that happened to me once. But I was like... I don't know if they're following me around because I'm dressed like a bum or if they're following me around because I'm dressed provocatively. Like I think I just looked, I think I was dressed too poor and I looked young or something. Like I was probably wearing like my dirty Converse and some old shirt, like, and just, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, finish what you're saying. Uh, well, one thing that comes to mind is, you know, like I've had to deal with some of these people and they really like fuck your life up. Like really when you've got your own shit going on, especially if you live in an apartment block and then there's some fucking busybody being like, yeah, there's this bylaw that says you've got to take the rubbish out at six o'clock. Like fuck off you fucking loser like you have nothing else to do but to enforce some dumbass rule that doesn't affect you it's just because you've decided like if the rubbish is put on this side of the driveway it's a problem like there's because they're used to living in the suburbs like it's it's same thing with noise complaints like the amount of noise complaints that i've gotten from yuppies who suddenly move into this area and are like, oh, it's loud. And you're like, yeah, there's a whole bunch of bars around here and a whole bunch of apartment buildings. And guess what? Like, this is what you deal with when you live in a city and you can't control everything. And it's like, you know, people, fine, complain when I'm like, you know, being loud at 6 a.m. But when it's five in the afternoon and I'm playing music inside my house, you're going to come up and knock on my door like, um, it's pretty loud. And I'm like, this is the world you live in. This is an apartment building. Like, you are going to have to go buy a house in the suburbs if you don't want to be around people and hear other people. Like, I can hear my neighbors, too. I hear the alley all day long. People are constantly fighting and screaming and breaking things in the alley. I can hear the, like, this is what it's like. I do feel kind of sad for these people, though, because if you think about, like, what's going on for people behind the scenes to want to come out to the world and exert control on things that are really outside of your control, like whether your neighbor plays music or whether there is a bar down the road that plays music till midnight, like, they want to exert control for a reason, like, there's shit going on that feels out of control, that feels too big to handle. So, you know, they're like, well, what can I do? I can tell my, I can take control of my neighbor who's not following the rules. I'm like, I feel really sad for you. Like that's, that's your only outlet because you obviously feel so out of control or so unhappy or whatever is going on for you. So I kind of get it. Yeah. So fully appreciate why we've ended up with so many people being like fuck the Karens of the world 
because they feel it's so horrible to be at, under attack from people who are kind of like decided that you're the target, like you're the reason, you're the enemy. And you're like, I'm not, I'm just living my life. I'm just trying to live my life. And I, well, and I mean, Karen is super misused. So this is the whole problem because now Karen is just used against, I guess, any white woman. Um, and, and I mean, I, I, I think I probably explained this in another show, but the root of Karen came from Reddit and this, this thread where this man was complaining in a very toxic, misogynist way about his ex who took custody of the kids. And so basically it was, you know, the same as calling her a bitch. It was like, Karen, 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 like, fuck this bitch. Um, but I, I mean, now it's just, it's another way to signal privilege and to signal shut up and to signal everything you do is wrong and you're entitled. And I mean, so Amy, so Amy Cooper, now she lost her job. She got fired. Um, when this is, when this all happened, they put her on leave. She was working for an investment company and they put her on leave, and then on Tuesday, they they fired her. And um, I just I do think, I mean, there's always two sides to the story. I do think that she was behaving in a racist way, obviously, and I was pretty upset about what was happening with her dog, although maybe she was just super stressed and scared and scared her dog was going to run towards this guy and he was going to poison it or murder it. Um, so she would be less worried about holding it by the collar like that because if she was that freaked out, but I don't know, I wasn't there. She told CNN that, you know, so he, okay, so Christian Cooper told the media, I pull out the dog treats I carry for just such a situation, I think. Uh, I didn't even get a chance to toss any treats to the pooch before Karen scrambled to grab the dog. I mean, that it's just so freaky. and cre- I would be so scared if I was in this situation because it's like you, you're pulling out treats. Like, I literally would have thought this guy was trying to poison my dog. Um, and then she yelled, you don't touch my dog. And then Christian says, that's when I started video recording with my phone when her inner Karen fully emerged and took a dark turn. Like, so he's saying he always carries dog treats around with him on these birding excursions that he goes on in the park, um, specifically in case there's a dog off leash so that he can draw the dog away from their owner to prove to them like, Oh, this is what happens when your dog's not on a leash, which I don't know if that's true or not. Um, And then she told CNN that she didn't understand what Christian meant when he told her about the treats. So she says, I didn't know what that meant. When you're alone in a wooded area, that's absolutely terrifying, right? Um, And then, and then she got fired. She, people were really angry about how she was being with her dog. So she gave up the dog to the shelter. So she's had this dog since um, 2018. Anyway, so she, she did apologize and she says, I sincerely and humbly apologize to everyone, especially to that man, his family. It was unacceptable. And I humbly and fully apologize to everyone who's seen that video, everyone that's been offended, everyone who thinks of me in a lower light. I understand why they do. So she, yeah, so she returned the dog to the shelter So now she has no job, she has no dog, and she's been vilified across media, so 
She's just going to be kind of harassed for some time now. I don't know that she'll ever be able to get a dog or a job again. And I guess, I don't know. I mean, to me, this is another case of, like, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Like, I, when I watched that video, I was, like, pretty horrified, to be honest. Um, just the, the repeating African-American man over and over and over again and the way she was being with her dog. And I was like, you're a psycho. But sort of, like, looking into the story more, I would get why she would be super freaked out and stressed out. Like, I mean, like, and I, I guess, like, to me, I, there are very few people that I feel like should lose their jobs and kind of personalize. Like, to me, losing your dog is a really big deal. Like, if I lost Emma, I would just die. Um, and that is, that is a very, pardon? And your job as well? Yeah, so she's, I mean, she's, her life has been ruined over this, and what she did was shitty, Mm -hmm. um, and I would say there should be repercussions, um, but I don't think that these should be the repercussions. Mm, Yeah. It's interesting. For sure, I feel like she was a shitty person. There's more going on to this than we can see. It looks as though there are certain issues with her, like there is a rift between these two groups of dog walkers versus bird watchers and all that stuff. But I do feel like she caught the full wrath of the social justice warrior internet right at the moment when everyone's in quarantine and they're losing their fucking minds and they need an enemy and she popped up and... That was this would have happened anyway. Time. I mean, look what happened to Justine Sacco. And Justine Sacco did something far less work, in my opinion. Like, I think what, like, what this woman did, what Amy Cooper did, was overtly racist. Like, she threatened mm-hmm. him with the fact that she knows that the cops police. are racist. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, thinking that would scare them. Like, it's a black man that's threatening me. Like, she was doing that on purpose to threaten him. Right? But And what Justine Sacco did was just to make a bad joke. Like she was, she thought she, she's the one, she's the one who tweeted like going to South Africa. Hope I don't catch, catch AIDS. Just joking. I'm white. And then the entire internet descended on her while she was on the plane and she got off the plane and everybody knew about it and was like, there's a hashtag like has Justine landed and she got fired and vilified across the internet And that wasn't even an intentionally racist joke. Like, she was sort of trying to point to white privilege, that this is something that impacts um, black people in in a particular way. Like, it was just a... And she was, like, nobody. Like, she hardly had any followers, so she was just making some dumb joke. But in any case, like, yeah, I think... I think that what this woman did was gross. Um, But I also think that there's more sides to the story and that I don't I don't actually think she deserves to, to lose her job and to lose her life and lose her dog and have her whole life ruined. Um, she deserves to be, like, called out, sure, but that's not how cancel culture works. We also have to talk about the Lana Del Rey drama, which I find very interesting. Um, I don't know if people here followed that. I'm actually not, like, a huge fan of her. I don't actually think I've ever listened to one of her songs on purpose. I'm not really into, like, the whole white girl emo thing. Um, 
but she she posted some stuff online defensively uh, that you know got her I guess in trouble. Um, uh, just sort of comparing the way that she's treated for the music that she does to the way some other women, many of whom happen to be black, and she didn't do that on purpose. Um, that you know she was being criticized for. For being authentic, but also talking about her her weakness and her um, vulnerability and her real feelings that might not really be feminist feelings or empowering feelings. Anyway, so if you guys click on the link down below in the show notes to the Patreon, that will link you to our private live stream that we do every Thursday after our regular live stream where we answer your questions and sort of talk about like more personal stuff. Um, which will connect to this Lana Del Rey thing, I think. Um, and I do, okay, I did, like, there's, there's one more thing that I want to talk about. So something really interesting that I discovered just today about Karen, because somebody messaged me on Instagram and was like, FYI, I actually am a Karen. Karen is an ethnicity. <laughs> right, okay. Tell us about so, the Karen. Okay, okay. The, okay, so the Karen um, are indigenous to the Thailand-Burma border region in Southeast Asia. And, um, but, you know, like, it's important to say that they would actually be super pissed if you referred to them as Burmese because there's this really long and horrible history of colonization and violence against the Karens from Burma. Um you know, the Burmese basically tried to and continue to try to destroy the Karen. Um, so, and actually even up, like, in 1997, Burmese army general Mwing Ai walked on a Karen flag and announced that in 20 years you will only be able to find Karen people in a museum. So somebody is trying to annihilate Karens as a yeah. group of people. And the Karen people in Burma have been fighting a 60-year civil war against the Burmese military regime. They've been trying to gain their independence, and they've not been able to. And still, even now, the Burmese military storm their villages and burn everything and destroy everything, and they have to come back and rebuild every year. Um, and more than, I think, like over like 100,000 of the Burmese Karen refugees have fled to Thailand. So there's a bunch of them in Thailand. Most of them are still, um, they're migrant workers and they're there illegally. Yeah. Um, and a bunch of, of the Karens have, have also escaped and resettled in, in the U S and Canada and Australia. But I thought, I mean, there's so many interesting things about the Karens. Like the Karens are so, you guys should look up the Karens. Um, first of all, the Karens are are generally addressed by their given names, so they don't have last names. So, for example, if you were named Karen, you would just be Karen. <laughs> I mean, none of them are named Karen, of course. Um, elders are super super well respected in in Karen culture. All of the things that are actually about Karens are so unkareny. Like this was the most interest. I mean, there's a lot of interesting things about the Karens. But one of the very interesting things part is that, like, Karens are, are very unlike Karens. And so, in my opinion, everybody using the term Karen in a derogatory way 
is like racist and xenophobic and a colonizer um, and oppressing an incredibly oppressed population and community of people. Um, so elders are so respected in the Karen culture that Karens will walk behind elders. Um, and they also have a cultural value of not imposing on others and of being quiet and kind of like not very talkative. You're expected to smile a lot and not never lose your temper. Um, things like you should like you, you should take your shoes off before going into a Karen home. And even if the person who owns the house says, no, 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 it's fine. Like keep your shoes on. You, you should still take them off. And, and like what you have to know about the Karens is that they're so polite that you go through this process where like, if you invite a Karen over to dinner, they'll decline to be modest um, and then eventually, if you keep saying, no, 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 come to dinner, come to dinner, come to dinner, they'll, they'll accept, like, kind of modestly. So, um, I mean, you can't even, you can't go into the bedroom or a kitchen of a Karen home unless you're specifically invited. And you can't, you shouldn't pick up something that belongs to another person. Um, so, like, for example, trying to, like, steal somebody else's dog would be a not really very Karen thing to do. Um, you shouldn't be direct, it's considered rude, confrontation is considered rude, displays of anger are considered rude, uh, directness, like loud speech. So, I mean, basically, like, neither of these people, Amy or Christian, were really being Karens because they were both doing, like, super un things. And also, the Karens are a matriarchal society. Um... Yeah, so they, like, so the men will work in the fields and, and the women will do the housework and also work in the fields, but um, the head of the spirit clan is always the woman and the husband becomes part of the wife's clan when they get married. And also the Karen drink whiskey. So, I don't know. I mean, I think that the whole point of this is that everyone who uses the term Karen is a racist oppressor. It's really interesting because um, I've had friends from I think I'm pretty sure everyone calls it Myanmar now, not Burma, um, because there's because of the civil wars. Um, I've had friends from Myanmar, and I've I'm new to this history. I gotta tell you, okay. <laughs> so, um, I didn't even know that they were Karens. I didn't know very much yeah. about Burma. I mean, there's a number of uh, ethnic that people kind of call them hill tribes in Asia. Um, in Thailand, they do. In Vietnam, they do. And there's there's ethnic groups uh, within different Asian countries because, like, of course, the, the colonization, and, and this obviously doesn't fit with North American racial politics because when you guys say colonization, you're talking about uh, European and usually, like, people from the UK colonizing yes. a continent but like within Asia, there's histories of colonization that were kind of from the Taiwan, China. Um, what well, was the Burmese and the Japanese that fucked the Karens? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like they. Yeah. And that's on. the thing. So people people will talk about like the poor P the POCs the BIPOCs. I'm like, mm, that doesn't really work in Asia because people who are indigenous to asia um are 
in some cases and not all because the different places I've lived in Asia have very different histories but like you would classify them as one group under this BIPOC thing which means you're woke and you care about people of color but like the the people who are technically Asian and live in whatever country it might be there's ethnic minorities within that country and the different ethnic minorities have different histories and different issues. So like there's ethnic minorities. I've only lived in Vietnam, so that's all I can speak to, but like there's different ethnic minorities in different parts of Vietnam that have different histories and different issues. So like the people that live in the far North that are ethnic minority are quite people, quite different to the people living in central Vietnam that have a specific ethnic history. So this kind of whole thing of just like lumping everyone together as BIPOCs, like this is the most ridiculous thing. It kind of shows you're either not, you're not, you've not traveled, you've not lived anywhere else, or you actually don't know any people of color. So you've decided that they're like one thing. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the white, the white versus black or white versus POC thing that's, applicable in certain places but not really most places in the world as far as like oppressor and victim go or mm. colonizer and colonizee yeah and and so the issues that have been happening in Myanmar I mean they're on Australia still takes quite a number of refugees from Myanmar every year I, I don't know how recent that is but I certainly I remember working with some of those people not that long ago. So, like, it's an ongoing issue. The same same thing with Thailand, like pushing people that are indigenous to kind of the hill areas in Thailand is still a problem. Um, so it's really interesting that these people happen to be called Karen. I, I didn't actually know that their ethnicity was called Karen. And many of them live in the Karen state still. I mean, the ones who haven't been displaced, which is yeah. hundreds of thousands of them. Yeah. But yeah, like the Burmese military comes and burns down the entire village and destroys their rice stock and their supplies. Um, and they have to go into hiding in the forest <laughs> until they can kind of come back and rebuild like it's really terrible and they sound like you know very lovely people mm. but I just thought I was like oh there actually are Karens and like they're actually super oppressed yes oppressed marginalized and people who've been subjected to horrible violence for over a century um this is one of the reasons um yes in answer to the question uh, Myanmar uh, generally, people are Buddhist. At least the people I've known from Myanmar are Buddhist. Um, one of the reasons why I've kind of stayed out of the, all of the news coming from the United States this last week, is it's all been about Black Lives Matter. And I understand that there's like shit been happening um, in the United States. But for me, like... I've always lived in Asia, Australia, and now New Zealand. If I adopt the lens of racial politics coming from the North American perspective, like that's very, that's ethnocentrist in and of itself. Like the racial politics that are relevant to me living where I live are not North American racial politics. And I've seen a lot of people 
jumping on this thing of like, well, as a white person, you have to care about what's happening in the United States. I'm like, yeah, it sounds, it sounds shit. It sounds like something's happening. It sounds like there's shit going on. And where I live, there's a certain, uh, there's a certain context that's relevant to the area that I live in. And if I adopt a United States lens on race, that would be entirely racist in the place that I live. So I, and that's why I'm kind of like, this is, it's really important to bring into context other things that are happening relative to where you live, because it's not always going to be the status quo of what's trending in the news this week. Like it's not always going to be what the current thing is that you should be talking, like you should be talking about racial politics in the United States, like, but I don't live there. So I'm not going to. No, well, that's sort of the unfair test, too, is that if you're not talking about the racial politics in the U.S., then you're not anti-racist or you don't care about it. And it's sort of neglects to understand that there's a lot more stuff going on in terms of race and oppression around the world that doesn't at all look like what's going on in the U.S. Well, what if you're not talking about, like, if you're not talking about the oppression of Karens in Myanmar, are you anti-Karen? You don't support the Karens? No one supports the Karens. No one supports them. Not any Karens. <laughs> not the, like, white yuppie Karens and not the, the Karens who live in Thailand or Burma or wherever. And that's um, the thing. Like, I've lived in Asia, so that's the that's the... That's the context that's relevant to me. And when people are like, you as a white woman should care about the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm like, but do you care about the oppression of ethnic minorities in Vietnam or in China? Well, you should or- care about all of it. I mean, if like those videos are horrific. I mean, you probably didn't watch the the video of George Floyd, but it's really upsetting to watch. I mean... And, um, people you know. are saying though, like, if you don't watch this, you're not, you're not open to what's going on. You're ignorant. You're closed off. You're not taking responsibility. You're enacting white privilege. I'm sorry, but I'm just going to be from my perspective. Like, I already have PTSD. Do you think I need to be watching violent graphic murders of people on the internet? And why should I, don't I think be you watching need to watch his it. murder? I think you can read about it. Why would I watch his murder and not the murder of people in the Middle East or people drowning in the Mediterranean right now or the ethnic minorities being rounded up in China? Why would I choose one over another? And how many of those should I be should I be ingesting in order to be socially moral? Like how how much know. trauma does one person have to go through to enact that they don't want to engage in their white privilege? I know. Well, that's the tough thing is that you can't follow everything and you can't talk about everything and you can't write about everything and you can't care about everything. So I think what a lot of people do is they choose the, the hot issue that's the easiest to, to post and write about to signal your politics and it's sort of and I mean I'm not saying people shouldn't post about it and that they shouldn't care because of course they should um and I suspected that there would be rioting after what happened and there has been rioting but uh 
I think it's that you, the problem is judging people who aren't talking about it or engaging with it as though they don't care about people or about oppression or about violence or about racism or about misogyny or whatever it is. Um, and thinking that this is the only way things go and this is the only way that politics and oppression work and, and yeah, and sort of not realizing... I mean, Americans are famous for this, is only understanding and relating to America and other Americans and American history and sort of being completely oblivious, oblivious to what's going on in the rest of the world. But either way, I mean, I'm not saying they shouldn't be um, up in arms about the situation, because of course they should, and... I, I mean, I don't. I don't think you need to watch the video. I think that you can read about what happened. I mean, that kind of stuff, it, like it sticks in your head. You know, it's those mm-hmm. kinds of videos that you're sort of. It's terrible to watch somebody in that situation and to watch somebody die. Essentially, yeah, it's horrible. It wouldn't matter where they're from. It's horrible. It's it's traumatizing. But um, the thing is, like you're saying, this idea of. Uh, the United States being like the epicenter of the world and what's happening in the United States. Like I've seen people in Australia and New Zealand posting like, well, if you're not outraged about what's happening in the United States, then you're obviously enacting your white privilege. Like, come on, dude, you live in New Zealand or you live wherever. Like you're not posting about what's happening in various you're not posting about Rodinga Muslim people that are being uh, thrown out of their like lives and their livelihood. You're not posting about China rounding up and putting people in internment camps. So are you enacting white privilege? Because that's way closer to us and to where we live than the United States. So, you know, like you can't, it's not possible to if this if the amount of outrage and energy that was being put into the, this guy who's been murdered was put into every issue we'd probably get far more movement on certain things but at the same time like there's you can't you no person has capacity to hold space for every oppression and every injustice that's happening in the world i don't think that it's totally, it, I don't think it's fair to say you're ignorant if you're not taking this on as your own personal issue. Like, people have their own shit, you know, like, and it's not fair to say you're just ignorant and privileged. It could be that that person is just a moment away from... Or that you don't care about it because you're not talking about it on the internet. Yeah. Because not all people are online all the time and a lot of people don't want to or feel comfortable posting their opinions on the internet. And I don't Mm -hmm. think that's... I don't think caring about things should be about advertising. Yeah. I think there's Um, a lot of performance happening right now as well. Like, the right thing to do is to post something because everyone's posting something. So I'm going to post something. And it's like, so you're not really posting because you care and because you're genuinely engaged. You're just posting because all your friends are posting, which is the same thing that like everyone posts on social media, what their friends post. So it becomes just like a trend as opposed to a genuine engagement with the issue. Yeah. Um, so you guys, we have to log off and go to group therapy, which is our Patreon only segment. And we're going to, you know, continue the Karening, obviously, because we can hardly help ourselves as born Karens. Um, 
<laughs> but I we're going to talk about represent Karens now that I know about their history. In I mean, I feel like I'm not like a Karen at all, but I feel like the best thing that you can do with the Karen is to just joke about it and kind of embrace it in a, in a, in a joking way. I mean, getting irate and getting insulted really doesn't get you anywhere. Just no. like take it on and, and love it. Yeah. Karen power. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about Lana Del Rey and like authenticity and whether or not it's okay for, you know, women to talk about, I don't know, like being weak, being passive. Um, Uh, and also we have a few questions that someone asked us on Patreon. So also if you have questions, please join us and ask us your questions and we'll respond and we'll have some drinks and to sign up to Patreon, you need to subscribe for like five bucks a month. You can subscribe for more if you like. Uh, we really appreciate it. I appreciate your support. Obviously, I don't have a job, so. <laughs> I work all the fucking time, man. I never stop working. I work until 2 a.m. every motherfucking night. Somebody else, yeah. Um, and. Yeah, and whatever else comes up. So click on the link down below and join us. Bring your drinks or your tea or, you know, somebody did their, like, workout routine, I think, last week, and I support that also. I mean, you can multitask. Like, we are blabbing on a lot, so you may as well be, like, getting strong and in shape while while we're doing that. (laughs) So we'll see you guys there momentarily thanks for tuning in also tune in next week we're here every thursday this is the same drugs with megan murphy and laura mcnally (laughs) see you next week bye bye